The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, Fathom Church. If you don't know me, I'm Kyle Knight. I'm the youth and digital minister here, as well as an elder candidate, and I'm honored to be up here to give the message this morning. Um, For those of you that are kind of new or or just don't remember, uh, Pastor Chris, our lead pastor, is out on sabbatical um, starting now throughout this summer, so I'm excited to be up here and continue our series in Matthew uh, this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, um, open them up to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have your Bibles, we have black Bibles underneath every chair. I believe it's on eight, page 820. You can open those up to Matthew chapter 14. If you're online with us, um, welcome. We are so glad that you're still um, able to be with us this morning. Matthew chapter 14. And as you're kind of turning there, um, I just want to, the, the last time I was up here preaching um, was this spring, and I was preaching a message on genocide from 1 Samuel. Um, which isn't really a bright message. Uh, this morning, I get to talk about Jesus healing people. So I'll take that any day. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a good morning. Um, but we've got a, a, a whopping three verses this morning to, to close out our time in Matthew chapter 14. So I wanted to go ahead and just read over these, uh, these, these few verses really quick here. And, and if you were paying a little bit of, a, of attention already this morning, Joe was up here reading scripture for us and he read from Matthew chapter nine, which is not Matthew chapter 14, but I'll explain why we had it reading him reading from Matthew chapter nine here in just a few minutes. But we're gonna go ahead and read these verses. So follow along with me. Matthew 14, we're going to start with verse 34 and go through 36. Verse 34, and when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. Now, I want to go ahead uh, really quickly before we kind of dive into this, do a little bit of a recap of what we've kind of heard so far, especially in chapter 14 in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, the last few sermons, uh, we've sort of been kind of studying and reading about some of these big miracles that Jesus has have done. You know, if you've grown up in the church, you kind of have heard, these are the ones that you've heard about many times. Um, a few weeks ago, we heard about Jesus feeding the 5,000, which was actually more like 20,000 plus with just the five loaves, two fish, all from this little boy's, what this little boy brought um, to Jesus as his sack lunch. Um, And then we talked about last week, Pastor Chris was here right before he went on sabbatical talking about Jesus walking on the water, um, having Peter come out and walk on the water with him. And then Jesus getting into the boat and then calming the storm immediately. And after this little section we're gonna go through today, um, in a few weeks, we're gonna see Uh, other big things that Jesus is going to be doing. We'll see Jesus sort of get into it a little bit with the the Pharisees, uh, arguing with them a little bit as they kind of bring up his his disciples, breaking traditions, um, the clean, unclean, casting out demons, all that kind of good stuff. But today we are finishing up chapter 14 with just a few verses. And honestly, I, I feel like since they aren't really necessarily these big Miracles that, that are like maybe talked about more. Like when we think of Jesus's miracles, we think about those, that feeding of the 20,000 plus and Jesus walking on the water and casting out demons, all those sorts of things. I feel like we might be tempted to sort of skip over this last little section here 
in Matthew. These, these final three little verses that almost don't seem to go with everything else and just kind of move on to what's next in chapter 15. And, and if we're not careful here at this part in Matthew, but really scripture in general, if we're not careful and we sort of skip over a few verses just to, just to get to something else that maybe we've heard before that we're really excited to move on to the next thing, like we might be missing something really amazing. And so like my, my first thing this morning is just to say like, we don't wanna miss out on what God has for us in just these little three little verses. It's almost like, Example I thought of is almost like um, like a post credit scene in movies, right? So so you got you guys kind of know those like like those really talked about little snippets at the end of the credits that um, that you have to like wait for. Like let's picture ourselves in movie theaters, not at home where you could just fast forward on Netflix. But picture I know it's hard to, but picture yourself in a movie theater again. Um, you know there's a post credit scene um, and kind of sitting there. Now nowadays it's really like almost every movie has a little post-credit scene. It's almost like they, everybody wants to be like every other movie and just throw something in at the end. Um, but it kind of makes you sit through all those credits in the movie theater just to see a little scene at the end that maybe, maybe it teases a, a, a sequel or, or something like that. You know what? I, I really like the ones that actually have like nothing to do with um, the movie or teasing it. I think like one of the like, superhero movies are really good with this. Marvel movies are really good with like teasing what's kind of next. Um, but it's great when like it, the end post credit scene kind of disappoints a little bit. And it's like, really, that's it. Like I just sat through all the credits to get to that. Um, but w- the thing is, is like you, you sit there and wait because you, you might miss something really, really good. And it's funny how nowadays with social media and stuff, I feel like sometimes that post-credit scene is talked about more than the actual movie. Like people are like, did you see that? Did you stay? And some people are like, no, I didn't. I didn't want to stay through the credits. But um, so it, it's, it's kind of like that. Like if we're not willing to just hang around and kind of wait till those um, are over that uh, we, might, we might miss something. And I feel like um, it's, it's kind of the same as, as some of these gospels. Um, if we're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, sometimes they have this, the same stories overlapping, these big miracles that we kind of keep um, hearing about. Um, sometimes we might see these couple little verses tagged on the end of some big miracles and before some other ones, and we might think there's probably nothing there. Let's just move on to something next, but we might miss something, and I don't want to miss what we have um, this this morning. So what we're going to do is let's let's go back and, and read um, verse 34. And we're going to start there and kind of pick this apart a little bit, these three verses. So verse 34. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Um, I, I think if you're like me, sometimes in, in reading scripture and you see maybe one little verse that almost doesn't have a lot of application for you that you could really take something away. We kind of just again go, okay, let's like, let's keep going. But I do want to highlight this really quick because I think it's important to figure out and really understand where the disciples are, where Jesus is, what is this place that they're, they're getting to. Um, So this comes right after a little context. This comes right after what Pastor Chris talked about last week. We talked about um, Jesus walking on the water to the disciples in the boat. He gets in the boat then, and the storm calms down. Storm is silent. So they, at that point, they finish crossing the sea. 
Okay, they finish crossing the sea and they come to the shore of this place called Gennesaret. Now, um, a little bit is, is spoke, just a little bit is spoken on, spoken on this place in scripture, but we know a little bit of, about it. It's a, it's a lush, fertile valley right there on, on the western bank of the Sea of Galilee. It's only about three and a half miles long. So this is a small little place, um, small piece of land, but very fertile, very lush. There's a lot of people who lived around that area. And it's also just a couple miles south of a place called Capernaum, which we've probably heard of before because it's been all over Matthew. Jesus has spent a lot of time there and teaching and doing miracles. So it's kind of around the same place. And what's also really cool is, is like history kind of shows us that the Sea of Galilee had a lot of different names back then. And one of the names for the Sea of Galilee was the Lake of Gennesaret. And so this, this is a really cool place. And so it's a spot that, that we kind of need to know a little bit about. But um, so let's, let's move on and keep, growing, keep going. Verse 35. And when the men of that place recognized him, Jesus, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. I know this, this kind of seems pretty typical of, of, of Jesus back then. Uh, like, you know, he, he gets somewhere and there's, there's people there. They, they, they know kind of, some of them might know what he's doing. He always has kind of, seems to have a crowd gathered around him to hear him teach, to hear him, to see him do miracles. But I want to point out something here that's a little bit different from the times that we've seen, that we, what we've been seeing about some of these crowds. And really it's like their acceptance, their recognition of Jesus that Jesus is met with people who actually recognize him, right? And they immediately go and bring their sick to him. But it's also interesting to see that acceptance to Jesus, that these people have this belief in him already, this faith in him. They kind of know who he is and know kind of what to do, bringing people to him. Whereas we've been kind of seeing even though Jesus has a lot of crowds around him, we've seen a lot of unbelief, some difficulty receiving Jesus. There's been a lot of doubt, even in the place where like Jesus is from, like this is different, but not like not here in Gennesaret where this, this small little three and a half mile stretch of, of a valley on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they recognize Jesus. And that's super important. And, and the text doesn't just say Oh, they recognize Jesus. It doesn't just say like, oh, they were like, oh, hey, hey, Jesus, how's it going? All right, see you later. It's him again. Like, oh, all right, see ya. They, Matthew says that they recognize him and immediately want to bring people to him. This meant that they recognized Jesus for who he truly was. That's the first point I want to make this morning is just like the people of Gennesaret back here in Matthew chapter 14, we need to recognize Jesus for who he is. Like they, they, had, they had heard about Jesus and what he'd been doing and his, his healing and his, his miracles and they believed it. They didn't just recognize Jesus as someone that they're just, they pass by in the market and just an old, old friend to say, hi, that's, oh, hey, that's the the guy I saw the other day. They recognized Jesus for who Jesus was proving himself to be. So I've, I've got a little illustration for this. Um, This past week I was uh, watching TV with, with my five-year-old boy 
and uh, we were like flipping the TV and it's one of those shows that is always on. Um, it was Planet Earth, Planet Earth. If you ever watched that, Planet Earth, Animal Planet, those sorts of shows that are always just on. And we flipped on Planet Earth and I'll just say like, that's one of those shows that um, you always kind of got to be careful clicking on it, especially when you have little ones uh, because most of the time, about 98% of the time, you're going to see something extremely cute and fluffy and a baby animal probably get ripped to shreds and eaten on TV by another animal. Like, it, it just, it happens, right? I, it, it happens. I get it. It's the circle of life, but I don't, I don't need to see it in, like, 4K with my kid sitting there, right? It's, I mean, makes dad get a little dust in his eyes sometimes, um, but anyway, so we, so we turn this on, we turn on, we, we, we turn on Animal Planet or whatever it was, um, and, and this time it's focusing in on the nests of these baby birds, okay? We got all these baby birds, nests of these baby birds, and they were actually albatross, alba, albatrosses. I don't really know the plural for albatross, seagulls. They were seagulls. Um, <laughs> And you see, we, we, we turn it on and you've got these cute little fluffy baby white little albatross in its nest. And there's a lot of them. There's all these different kind of nests. It's on these rocks next to, next to the sea. Um, but they're all in these little nests. There's no mom and dad in sight of these nests, which I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, oh no, here we go. Something's gonna happen. I gotta cover my kids' eyes. I gotta cover my eyes. Um, but this was actually the maybe like 2% the other 2% where nothing got eaten um, on camera, which was great. So we could watch it without crying or having nightmares about it later. But instead the, the narrator starts talking about how the parents left the nest, all, the, all the, the bird parents, albatross parents left the nest to go get food. And while the parents are gone, this one little fluffy baby seagull that they're focusing on tries to climb out of its nest. Okay, and successfully does and kind of tumbles and falls out of the nest. Now, now this was like, it was like six inches to the ground. And remember, it's on, it's on these rocks. So it's not that far um, to go. You know, I, was, I, I mentioned this in first service because I stopped here. And I, after we had just had the seniors up here, um, I start, I'm talking about baby birds leaving the nest and everything. And I was like, I'm sorry, parents of, of seniors. Your kids are leaving the nest. Didn't catch that until first service. So, um, so, so this baby, this baby albatross falls out of the nest. It's all dirty now, but it's really trying to get back up into the nest now. And it's just out of reach. His little beak can get up there, but he's not strong enough to pull himself up. Well, pretty soon dad comes back to the nest with food. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, like, good. Dad's back. Everything's fine. He's got to pull a baby, baby albatross back in the nest. We're good. Like crisis averted. Everything's good. But of course, it's not that simple. Um, dad comes back to the nest and see what happens is dad sits there and does nothing and just kind of looks out and almost looks out and above over the top of baby albatross that's out of the nest. Not even looking down at his own baby or helping it or anything like that, just almost doesn't even see that it's there that this baby is trying to struggle to get back up into the nest. And so the narrator comes back saying, he says that how um, if a baby albatross leaves its nest, the parents do not recognize it anymore. Yeah, yeah. 
And I'm like, oh, that's not, that's not good. Like they don't even see that it's their baby. They just don't, they don't recognize it for, for who it is, which is their own baby, just because it's not in the nest. How crazy is that? Then six inches below the nose of the dad there. Um, I know it's harsh, but they don't recognize it for who it is. Now, luckily, camera stays on this this baby, because it's got to, we got to see what happens as it struggles to get back in there. And finally it does. Finally, it gets enough strength to crawl back in there, flops back into the nest. And seriously, it's like dad albatross flips a switch or something. And it's like, oh, there's my baby. Where'd you go? Which I'm like, come on, dad. Like, it's your baby. Um, but he finally recognize it for, recognizes it that it's his baby. Like that's, oh, that's my baby. And so for some crazy reason, baby albatross need to be in the nest. And then his dad would have seen them for who he truly was, his own baby. Now, I know that's a weird example, planet earth. It's awesome. Um, but it should get us thinking. It should get us thinking if we would truly recognize Jesus for who Jesus really is. So my question to you, church, is is who is Jesus to you? Like, who do you see Jesus as? Do you recognize him? Do you recognize him for who he truly is? Or is this just a, oh, hey, Jesus, there you are. I mean, I, I hope we would recognize Jesus like the people here in chapter 14 in Gennesaret did, recognize him for who he truly was. And hear this, this is what it looks like to recognize Jesus for who he truly is. When we recognize Jesus for who he is, we recognize the power he has to transform lives for those who trust and have faith in him. Like that's who Jesus was to these people. Like they saw him for the miracle worker. It was for the healer that he was. And church, if we truly recognize Jesus for who he is, it should it should bring a burning desire in us to tell everyone about it. Everyone. Like it should be an immediate thing that's always on our hearts. We should want to do something else with it, right? It should always be on our hearts to tell people about it. So that brings us to the, like the second part of verse 35. So after these people had, had recognized Jesus, here's what they do in response. So verse 35 And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. You see, it's not enough just to recognize Jesus for who he is. We need to do something with it, right? We need to do something with it. We can't just keep it inside. That's what the people here of Gennesaret did. Like once they recognized it was Jesus, they immediately ran and brought their sick to him. So this is a second point I wanna make. Um, so what, what we can learn from these few verses here at the end of chapter 14, like they recognized Jesus for who he was and they brought people to him. Now I know I put up on, on, on the screen, my, my point is bring everyone to him. That, like this passage is, it says the sick, right? It's talking about the sick. I mean, I mean, these people have been hearing about Jesus 
as well as like, we'll see here in a second, maybe they've even been seeing him do some of these things. He's been close by performing these miracles. So they knew he was that healing person and they brought their sick to him. But it's, it's more than that. That's why I put bring everyone to him, not just the sick. Because you see here, this word sick we find in this passage, like the translation, uh, it's, it's a translation of a Greek phrase that basically means having it bad. Having it bad or having it wretched. So like in other words, like the men of Gennesaret sought out and brought to those, brought those to Jesus who had it bad. Those who were wretched, who were miserable, who were hopeless, those who could not have brought themselves to Jesus, those who had it bad, not just the physically sick, but those who had it bad. So another question, how many of us have it bad today? How many of us would, would, would consider ourselves just in a, in a place where we're just miserable? We're wretched, even hopeless. These people brought everyone who had it bad to Jesus for healing. Is that you today? Like, like maybe, maybe you are sick, but maybe you are the one feeling hopeless, in need, miserable. I bet that could, there could be a lot of different ways for us today. So, so this could translate for you. This could be the Holy Spirit kind of tugging at your heart right now and telling you, hey, go to Jesus like you need to, to run to him, go get healing from Jesus today. Maybe you need to hear that right now from these. Maybe that's you, uh, that Jesus has kind of shown up, shown up on your shores and, 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 and he's waiting to heal you. And hear this, like, we'll see that he will heal you in the next verse. But also maybe, maybe that's not exactly what you need to hear from this this text this morning, like maybe you aren't physically sick. Maybe you aren't so much spiritually sick either. Like your relationship with Jesus is, is pretty good and, and you recognize him for who he is. You, you believe in him. You have faith in him. You have trust in him already. And so now you need to bring everyone to Jesus. And I, and, I, and I know that I feel like when, when the preacher up here says anything about, hey, who are those people in your life that you need to bring to Jesus? I know we all, so we all have that person or those people in our, in our head. We all have those people. Maybe, maybe it's physical healing. Maybe there's somebody in your life that needs physical healing that you need to bring to Jesus in prayer today. That maybe after, after service, you need to go back there and pray with one of us asking him for his supernatural healing for something physical today. That's great. Do, like, do that. But what about those also who have it bad in other ways, who are, who are hopeless, who are miserable, that we just know who are, who are lost, who are struggling, who might, not, who, who might physically be okay, but maybe spiritually they couldn't be further from, from Jesus and, and wouldn't recognize him if Jesus walked up to their front door right now. What about those people in our lives that couldn't get to Jesus on their own and need someone to bring them to him, need your help? 
You know, we, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were um, looking at Matthew about um, evangelism and like our plan and everything like that. And we talked about, hey, you are the plan. Who are those people in your life that need you to bring them to Jesus? You know, it's, it's crazy how many times in scripture that we see other people bringing people to Jesus who can't get there on their own. Like, I won't go through all of them, but even what we've seen up to this point in the gospel of Matthew, some examples in Matthew chapter eight, it says they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. In chapter nine, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Also in chapter nine, as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him and so on and so on and so on. Listen, Christian, if, if, if we call ourselves Christ followers, this like then we should be immediately running to everyone we know to bring to Jesus, anyone and everyone, anyone who is, who is miserable, who we just know might be hopeless right now, anyone who is sick, bringing them to Jesus. I mean, if we have that knowledge of who Jesus truly is and we recognize him for who he is, like, how could we not bring everyone to Jesus? How could we not, how could we just like hold on to that ourselves? So I want you to think about who that is in your own life. Like, who do you maybe need to just run out of this room right now and go get people? I, I would be okay with that. If you just stood up right now and you ran out of here, I wouldn't be mad if you're bringing people to Jesus, right? Bring people next week, run out and do that. And so now let's, let's go on to this last little part and see what happens when they bring their sick to Jesus. So again, just rereading this, verse 35, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Now I want to spend a little bit of time on this last little verse, uh, the people who brought their sick to Jesus implored, or some translations even say begged, they begged Jesus that they might only just touch the fringe of his garment. Now, if you've, if you've been in church for more than a minute, or even if you just paid attention this morning, when Joe read the scripture for us, right, we've heard this before. Like we, we've heard people touching the fringe or the, the hem of Jesus's clothes and being healed. But I want to explain why. Okay, I want to explain why this is. See, in, in the Mosaic law, going back to old, like Old Testament, God instructed his people to do something with the corners or fringes of their garment. Okay, you, you can see this. If you want to turn to it, you can. In, in Numbers chapter 15, 37 through 41, it, where, where it's, it says that the Jews were to make tassels on the corners of their garment throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassels of each corner. And this was as a reminder that they were God's people called to keep his commandments. Now to me that, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds a little weird. You know, I don't see us going around making little tassels out of our jorts or whatever, or our fringes. Um, but let's, let's dig into this a little bit more, okay? So the ancient, in the ancient Near East, and this is really awesome, the ancient Near East, the corner of a person's garment represented their identity. 
It was a symbol of who that person was and what they stood for. Okay, so it was, it was important. And this is really awesome. Um, in Hebrew, the translation of corner of a garment or fringe means wing, W-I-N-G, wing. So we see this again in, in Malachi 4.2. This is a prophecy written about the Messiah before Jesus came. And it says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And they use that same word there for wings as, as fringe or, or corner of garment. So you could think of it this way. Like if one were to give you the corner of their garment, their tassel, whatever it is to, to hold, to grab onto, it would literally mean that they would be spreading their wings over you, covering you, the one in need with their wings. I mean, that's pretty cool. So now people came to Jesus just to touch the corner of his garment or to have Jesus's wings covered. Like they would have known this. It's like, it's like that phrase like we use now when you want to take someone under your wing, when you want to, want to teach them, when you want to help them. Like the, these fringes represented that these people were God's people and their identity was in him and that the heart of the Messiah's identity was healing. Like Jesus, the healer, wanted to take everyone all who were sick under his wings to heal them and help them. So these people, the people of Gennesaret would have known the Mosaic law. They would have known that the fringes of the Jewish teacher's garment meant, but really quickly, and I want to make this, want to make this perfectly clear that the fringe itself didn't hold magical healing power, okay? Jesus' clothes didn't have healing in the clothes. The healing power of touching the fringe of Jesus' garment came by faith and belief in who Jesus truly was. And how did they know this? Well, in part, because maybe only even just a couple months before this happened, like we heard this morning, Jesus had already done this exact thing when someone reached out and touched the fringe of his clothes and was healed. Like, and, and if you remember, this was um, back in chapter nine, and it was actually even almost exactly a year ago today when Pastor Chris spoke on chapter nine. So you could go back and, and look that up. We read about the story of the woman who had excessive bleeding for 12 years. And in a large crowd, she just wanted to touch the, the, the fringe of his, his garment and he, she was healed of this. And if you remember, Chris explained that word touch. It says touch in there, but more likely it was translated to, to grasp or cling to. So she clung to Jesus. And this happened in Capernaum, only two to three miles away from this area where they're at now. So which means that these people in Gennesaret, these people we're reading about who recognized Jesus, who recognized him because maybe they had heard about him, and maybe even seen him already and possibly could have been there when he had already done this healing to this woman. And that is why here in verse 36, the people of this area bring their sick to Jesus. They knew. 
They recognized Jesus for who he was because they knew he had done it before and they believed he would do it again. And this is where I wanna ask you again, church. It may be you recognize Jesus for who he truly is. You've got that. And maybe, maybe you're willing to bring all of those who are sick or have it bad to him. But do you truly believe that Jesus can heal you again? He's done it before. Do you trust and believe that he will do it again? And if so, maybe you just gotta reach out to him today. Cling to him. Do you believe and trust that he's powerful enough to heal you, heal your friends, heal your family, maybe physically and spiritually, if you have what it takes to just reach out and cling to him? It's not enough to just recognize Jesus for who he is. We need to bring everyone to him. We need to be- and believe and trust that he can heal us again if we just have that faith to reach out and touch him and be healed. And I say be healed because right at the end there, Matthew wraps up these three verses by saying that, and as many as touched it, as many as touched the fringe of his garment, Jesus's garment were made well. All who touched it were made well. As many as reached out and touched the fringe of his clothes, as many as reached out in faith and touched the healer, as many as recognized Jesus for who he was and believed what he was coming to do, they were all made well. And in some translations, it even says made perfectly well or perfectly whole. So do you believe Jesus can make you whole again? Do you know someone who needs to meet Jesus and be made whole again? So I wanted, I want to challenge you with this today, church. I want to challenge all of us to recognize Jesus for the healer that he is and the power he has to make us perfectly well. And not just keep that to ourselves. This isn't just something that we get here on Sunday mornings and then just say, all right, that's for me. Go, t- go tell everyone about him. Let's, let's bring everyone to him. And so, as we're wrapping up Matthew 14, there it is, three verses. Three verses surrounded by some pretty amazing, incredible miracles, some that are talked about a lot. But these three verses show us that if we truly recognize and believe in what he came to do, if we don't just keep that to ourselves and we bring everyone we know who is sick to him, knowing and trusting and believing that he will make those who have it bad perfectly well then we can experience true, real, lasting healing from the one who came to heal. So come under his wings today, church. Reach out to him, grasp a hold of him and receive that healing for you and others and be made perfectly well. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these verses in Matthew. God, we, God, I I pray for those who are sitting here, maybe who are sick. Maybe Maybe it's physical, but maybe it's just everything else, God, who just have it bad. 
And we're sitting here feeling, maybe we put a smile on our face to be here, God. But, but maybe we just have it bad. We feel miserable. We feel lost. God, I pray that these verses here in Matthew, that we don't just skip over these, we don't just lose the meaning to these, that we could know that you are here to heal us, heal all those who are sick. And God, I pray that if that is us, that we run to you. God, that we run to you and we cling to you. We grab a hold on to you, God, because we know you will heal us and make us perfectly whole in you again. God, even this, if this is again and again and again, God, I pray that we know and believe that you come to heal us. God, I pray for those in our lives that we are thinking about right now that we need to bring to Jesus that might not be making it to Jesus on their own. You have put on our hearts to be those people that we need to run out and bring to Jesus. God, I pray that we have the courage to leave this room today and, and, and bring everyone we know to you for healing. God, and I pray that we believe that you are the healer. God, I just thank you for, for, for these few verses, God. God, I pray that we don't skip over, that we don't miss, miss this message here that you have come to heal us, all those who are sick, all those who have it bad. If we just trust that you will make us perfectly whole. And God, I just pray over all of us here today that we will just take that in and truly believe it. God, I thank you for this time and I lift this up to you and I pray these things in your name.